she was uh, praying um, just the same things that uh, we shared together in Sunday school, the value that God has placed upon people and the call that he has in our lives to be grounded in his love and to share that love with others. And uh, she wasn't even there. And yet uh, she heard the things that were on our Father's heart to share with us again today. And so what a great reminder to us again this morning. And so we're going to go ahead and dismiss our children for Children's Church. They want to go ahead and meet their teachers out in the, the foyer. It's hard to miss them when they're right there antsy and ready to go. So thank you to the teachers for uh, serving uh, our children today in those classes. And uh, for those of you that are going to remain in here with us, I want to introduce you to a friend of mine. His name is Lowell Huckhalter. Did I say that right? I don't know if I've ever said your name, your last name before, but uh, Lowell and I have known each other for, for quite a while. Um, he's spoken at a number of our summer camps over the years, and uh, I remember him speaking at times up in Ellendale when we had camp up there, and uh, now out in the hills, and uh, you th- forgot about Ellendale, didn't you? And uh, that was a whole nother time ago, but uh, Lowell also came. When he was working in youth ministry in uh, Montana, worked with Youth Alive, he came and trained some of our youth pastors and pastors here in, in South Dakota, and we did a seven project a uh, number of years ago where we went into the schools and did assemblies and shared and had a community-wide event, and we were in Iroquois, and we were in Woolsey, and we were in uh, Huron and James Valley, and we went uh, down to Sanborn and uh, to Woonsocket and... Uh, uh, had an opportunity to to learn and to be trained, and that's a, a lot of what Lowell and Tammy did for a number of years. Is they spent 20 years in youth ministry and uh, working in Youth Alive in Montana and uh, even around the United States. And there were so many times that uh, we tried to have Lowell come and do a service, and they've been Youth Alive missionaries and missionaries for a number of years. And uh, he would ask, and that wouldn't work out, or something would happen, and we couldn't put it together. And uh, he spoke back at district council this last April. And he and Tammy have been, have, God has led them into a new ministry where they work to, um, they're, they're in the war against human trafficking now. And uh, as he shared uh, some of the things that they've been called to do with Free International, a group that, uh, a, an organization that is, uh, its mission is to set uh, people free from this lifestyle, from this trafficking, uh, to rescue them, to, to find them, to rescue them, to um, embrace them and empower them. And uh, as soon as he shared, I just thought, okay, now's the time we really got to make this happen. And so I just shared with him after I said, we need to get something on the calendar. And as he was coming uh, this week to be a part of camp, he flew in last night to Rapid City and uh, got in a car and drove here and got here late last night and uh, has come to be with us. So he flew over Huron to get to Rapid City and then drove back. And now today he's going to drive back to Rapid City and minister to our kids this week. But I know uh, that you're going to be blessed as he shares their story, as he shares the things that God has put on their heart and gives us an opportunity to partner with them in this war against human trafficking. And I pray that your eyes get open today to the problem. Um, That's uh, the first thing I I pray is that our eyes begin to see it and uh, that we engage ourselves in what God is calling us to do. And so would you make him feel welcome as Lowell comes to minister this morning? Yes, yesterday when I flew over the top of Huron, looked on my flight tracker as we flew over Huron, realizing that I was 
flying over Huron to fly to Rapid City to get a car to drive to Huron to then drive from Huron back to Rapid City. I was like, I'm not very smart. Not very smart at all. Uh, but we figured it out. We got here. A um, bunch of storms in Minneapolis. And then so it was about 2.30 last night when I finally arrived in this beautiful city. And uh, thank God that Domino's Pizza open. It was a miracle of God, provided manna from heaven for me. And I, you know, I'm, 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 maybe I'm different than everybody else, and maybe you're just like me, but I thought, I'm just going to order a pizza, and I'm just going to have a piece or two. Yeah, I didn't do that. I ate anyway, I feel guilty about that. Anyway, so there's my confession this morning. If you have your Bibles, open them up to the book of Luke chapter 7. As you do that, um, I want to give you a basis of, of, uh, of free internationalism as a, as a mission. The, the idea that somehow the church should bother themselves and be involved in what some might call an issue or a problem or a social justice, um, some would call even in our day and age a phenomenon, that the church should bother itself and take away from what it should be doing, mind you, and be involved in something that maybe doesn't seem like it fits the way um, we're used to church being. But in the book of James, James says, true worship that is accepted by God the Father is this, that you would take care of the widows and the orphans. I thought, wow, that seems like a pretty simple job. That that, that, would be, that would be the thing that would be left to the church of Jesus Christ. It really seems like something very simple. And why would it be just the widows and the orphans? It seems like as we look around us, there is so much hurt. There is so much pain. There's, there's hunger. There is need for clean water and all of these things. But as you look in context of that that scripture, when James says, true worship is accepted by God our Father is this. The widows and the orphans of that time were simply the most vulnerable groups of society during that time. I honestly believe if Jesus Christ would send his word via his disciple again today, there would be an amended piece that would say, True worship that is accepted by God the Father is this. That you would take care of the vulnerable among you. Those who are hungry. Those who are thirsty, literally thirsty for some a clean water. The widows. The orphans. The abused. The sick. That is very simply the job that God has for us to do is to look around us and reach out to the vulnerable. Because my friend, I'm telling you this, the government can, can raise whatever banner they want to raise, but they will never reach the vulnerable. They will never reach the vulnerable with the good news, not only of who Jesus Christ is, but the good news of you don't have to be hungry. 
The good news of you don't have to be enslaved. It's one thing to go up to somebody and say, you don't have to be hungry. Hey, you don't have to be homeless. But it's another to be involved and to get your hands dirty and to be part of the answer. When we first started in school assemblies, man, this is going to age me out, but um, there used to be billboards on the highways, and it would say, hugs, not drugs. Remember those? Remember that whole mentality? Hugs, not drugs. And I thought, I remember saying it in the school assembly scenario. I was like, you know, I've never seen a drug addict where I've went up to him and said, dude, I know you're totally addicted to crack, and I know that cocaine is just like raging your body, but come on, guy. Bring it in. Let's just get rid of that whole drug addiction, and let's just hug it out. You know, come on now. I mean, I get it. I mean, there's nothing wrong with a good hug, but I don't think that's going to take my cocaine addiction to, an, you know. Friends, it's time for us as the church of Jesus Christ to rehear the command and to understand the worship that God our Father received. We reach out to the vulnerable that are among us. And I think sometimes we have to humble ourselves and raise our hand and say, sometimes that's me. Book of Luke, chapter 7, in verse number 36, we're going to start. I'm captured, for the last three years, I've been literally captured by this story. Absolutely captured by this story. I don't know who I identify with the most in this story. This morning I want you to almost, if you can, with your imagination, I want you to transport yourself to this time. Or if it works better for you, bring this time into your context. And I want you to identify the individuals, the people, the people groups in this story and ask yourself, who am I in this story? You see, so often we look at Maybe we, we, whatever you might want to label them, social justice issues. We, we label these as problems or as issues. But this morning, I want to tell you this, that human trafficking, the trafficking, the buying and selling of human beings, boys and girls, for the perverse needs of those who somehow feel entitled to their use, is not a problem. And it's not an issue. You see, we, we do this as human beings because it makes it easier for us. We say, well, who's going to take care of that problem of human trafficking? And when we call it a problem, we're able to compartmentalize that. And we call it this, oh, that whole issue of, you know, world hunger. Oh, that, that issue of we need clean water. That, that's really a problem. And we're able to compartmentalize that. And then we, we put it on the shelf with all the other problems. And then that helps us to step back and then point our finger and say, who's going to deal with that problem? Somebody has to take care of that problem. And to be honest with you, it's, where, it's, it's what's gotten us in this mess. The widows and the orphans, that's, that was a very simple command to the church. That, that, that was our job. That was our job. In the Levitical code, there were there were things that were set up in families that when a, when a man died, that the wife would be taken care of by the family and all those things. And then as it processed through the, through the ages, 
I mean, it was very simply before Jesus left the earth, he just gave the simple command. Gave the simple instruction for us to, to take care. We decided that we knew better. We offered those, may I call them opportunities to, in our case, the government. And we said, maybe they would do this better. They should set up a foster care system and they should set up a, a system to take care of those who are, you know, a welfare system. And they should take, and, and, and now we sit back as a society and we point our finger and they go, and we go, that's broken, it's, it's terrible and it's awful. It is broken because it's not the way it was ever meant to be. There are more children without family than ever on the face of the earth. However, statistics tell us if every church in America would adopt one child, there would not be enough children to go around. We would end orphans in America. One fell swoop right there. In Montana, if just every church in the western half of Montana would just adopt one child in Montana, we, there would be no more foster care system needed. There would be no more orphans in the state of Montana where I live. If we would just take it back and realize this is our job. This is our mission. This is missions. That's what God's called us to do. Those kids without homes, those kids without families, that's us. That's on us. That's our job. But we so often, we, we talk about the problem. We talk about the issue. Luke chapter 7 says, one of the Pharisees asked him over for a meal, him being Jesus. Being the man he was, he went to the Pharisee's house, he sat down at the dinner table. Just then, a woman of the village, the town harlot, mind you, Having learned that Jesus was a guest in the home of the Pharisee, came with a bottle of very expensive perfume, stood at his feet, weeping, raining tears on his feet. Letting down her hair, she dried his feet, kissed them, and anointed them with the perfume. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man was the prophet I thought he was, he would have known what kind of woman this is who's falling all over him. Jesus said to Simon, Simon, I have something to tell you. Oh, tell me. Two men were in debt to a banker. One owed 500 silver pieces, the other 50. Neither of them could pay up, and so the banker canceled both debts. Which of the two would be more grateful? Simon answered, oh, I suppose the one who was forgiven the most. That's right, said Jesus. Then turning to the woman, but speaking to Simon. What we have here is a, a dinner party very well crafted. Simon, this Pharisee, has put together this very perfect scenario. Simon has invited Jesus to come and have dinner at his house, not so that he can have fellowship with Jesus, but so that he could maybe in his mind prove his point. Or maybe it was a, a gesture of corporate climbing. I can imagine that Simon being the pharisaical businessman that he was, he probably had this entire dinner party all set up just the way it needed to be. Everything was orchestrated just right. 
Everybody was sitting in the, in the right spot, sitting strategically placed throughout the room so that those that were around would be able to see what was going to happen when Simon would ask the very difficult question to Jesus. And he would catch him maybe off guard and he would not be able to answer the questions and it would then raise Simon to this whole nother level of, of wisdom and, and popularity in his community. And so all of the important people of the community, of, of course, were invited. Now, mind you, when you put on a fancy dinner party, you're not going to invite the dregs of society to be there. Why? Because it makes people uncomfortable. Remember, I asked you to take this story and find yourself in it. You and I both know that when we find ourselves among those who we would consider the vulnerable, let's admit, it makes us uncomfortable. It's hard. Why? Because sometimes we don't have the answer that we think we have to have. We don't have the extra money in our pocket to hand out to someone who needs that money. Or, or maybe we don't have the, 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 the proper attitude at that moment. Maybe it's just been that bad day. But whatever the case, this, this dinner party has been set up so perfectly. Jesus was invited because he had happened to be in the area, kind of like a missionary. Not that you're Simon. I would never... Tables were set just right. The meal would be served at the very precise moment as it was rehearsed. We don't know anything about this woman who crashed this most perfect plan that had been set out. But now all of a sudden the door of this facility where this dinner party was to take place was darkened. And not just darkened by somebody that was late, it was by somebody who was not invited to be there in the first place. Now, I don't know if you've ever been to that restaurant, but I've been there several times. I travel a lot and have been in a lot of small communities. And Have you ever been to that restaurant when you pull into the community and you think to yourself, oh, I don't want anything like fast food. I want to kind of get something, you know, you know, like a, hometown sort of thing. And so you pull up in front of that restaurant and, you know, it seems like it's where a lot of cars are, so that's where you're going to pull up. My dad used to always want to go to the truck stop. He said they always had the best coffee. I don't think that's the case anymore, but he would always want to stop at the truck stop and, and have breakfast and have coffee. But I, I've pulled up at this particular restaurant, and I think maybe you have at a time too, and that restaurant always, when you pull up, it always has windows all the way around it. And so when you pull up, the people that are sitting close to the windows, they look out and they recognize you as a stranger. And they ask themselves in their minds, what is he doing here? He does not belong here. And being the brave soul that I am, that's a lie. I get out of my car and I start to walk and you can feel the eyes of those inside that are comfortable there, that have been there, you can feel them watching you. If I was brave, I would just be like, what's up? You know, I would, but I'm not brave. And so you, you, you kind of walk and you think, you know what, they're gonna get bored. They're, you know, I'm just a normal guy. And do you know that that restaurant, you know the door on that restaurant? Somehow the owner of that restaurant does not know anything about 
graphite or WD-40 or nothing. Because the restaurant, that, that door on that restaurant always... And you open it up and what happens? Everybody turns. And, you know, you, you, you kind of feel like, you know, I don't know if you should break it. You know, you know I, but have you ever been at that restaurant and it's just the most awkward situation of all? And you don't know whether you should, you know, that you should seat yourself because if you get brave and you go, well, you must seat yourself. And you go sit down, the waitress comes and goes, actually, it's a uh, wait to be seated. Oh! Or if you stand there waiting, they come up, you know, if you say, you know what, I'm not going to get caught this time. And so you stand there and wait, and she comes up, she goes, you can sit wherever you want, you know. And it's like, oh, yeah, I knew. I was just up here looking at the weird mints in the bowl. That's all I mean. And so this woman darkens the door of this place, and you can imagine as her shadow casts over that room that every eye looked her direction. Not only did, she, did they know that she did not belong there, but her kind was not welcome. This woman, as identified very clearly in Scripture, even in the words as it describes her, a woman of the village, comma, the town harlot, identified and labeled not by who she was as a person, but what her circumstances have drawn her to. Now what happened in that room, I can't even imagine what must have taken As she walked from that doorway, the gall of this woman. Not only to show up uninvited, not just to take a look, but to invade the space as she made her way to where Jesus was. People who had been strategically sat at the table I can tell you that there were those who got very, there were some of those who were very uncomfortable. One is because there were some men in that room who recognized her. There were some men in that room that were very fearful because they knew that she would recognize So the Spirit of the room changed just a little bit. Simon, the organizer of this entire thing, became raged that his plan had been derailed. He was going to show those around him how much he knew. He was going to show his wisdom, and in that showing of his wisdom would, would increase in his power and popularity. We don't know a lot about this lady other than what's described to us. Now, I've heard this story preached 
and taught in so many different occasions. I've heard it as they have drawn out from, from that, the frustration of those around who were disappointed that Jesus would allow this expensive perfume to be wasted. You know what we could have sold that for? You know how much that was worth? In fact, I've heard messages even preach on the fact that when she allowed her hair to come out of its covering and fall down, that the symbolism of her hair or her covering or her identity of that something that was honor for her as she dropped that down and allowed that then to become a, a rag. As, as I've heard that, and it's made total sense to me. But I've missed the entire point of this, this story as, as it's brought forth. I've, I've missed the entire point, which then I began to feel guilty because not only did I miss the point of this story, I realized that I've missed the point of my faith all along. As I have placed myself in this story in almost every place, I have found myself to have occupied each one. I have found myself in life of being the individual who has been caught up in sin so deeply that I didn't realize the people that, that I hurt around me. I've been Simon many times in my life. And I've found myself to be very religious. Not a man of faith, but a religious man. Simon says to himself, this is what I thought. This man was everything that he says he is, and that all the reputation of who he says he is and who others say that he is, if this man was all of that, he would know who this person is who is falling all over him, who's, who is even allowing to touch him for crying out loud in public. Now growing up, I grew up in a great home. I, we were always in church. And it was back when the kids would always sit in the front. We would always sit in front. There were, we started having kids' church later, but we would always sit in the front. And I was, I was like the evangelist's best friend. When evangelists came to our church, they could always leave our church and check off on their little box. If anybody got saved, there was always going to be one when they came to our church, and it would be me. I would, be the, I would raise my hand and go to the altar. Every, I, there is not a time in my life that I can remember not ever going to... They would preach and I would feel guilty and I would think about how I sin and how I sass my mom and they would come to the end and the music would play and they would say, if you have any feeling in your heart at all, that's the Holy Spirit and he's convicting you and you need to be saved. I'd be like, I have that feeling in my heart and I'd raise my hand and I'd come forward and I don't know what my parents would think. I mean, I don't know if they got excited every time I got saved, but I mean, I would be at the altar every time. However, when the prophet would come to the church, not so much, even to this day. You know, when that person comes to your church and they're strong in the prophetic gift and they start pointing out people and they're like, sir, sir, I have a word for you. This guy right here has one thing in his mind. 
Do not make eye contact. Put your head down. Begin to pray, even if in tongues, and ask God to forgive every sin that you have. Do not allow this man to call anything out in public. As he's pointing out people, I sense that you this, and I'm just like, oh, God, please, 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 do not let him see me here at all. So Simon's sitting there at the table, thinking to himself, Scripture tells us that Jesus, knowing his thought, says to him, Simon, I have a question for you. Well, what is it? And he brings his mind back to forgiveness. Simon, I want to ask you a question. There's two men, one in debt for 50, one in for 500. Neither of them can pay their bill, Simon, and the banker forgives them both. Which one is most grateful? Now, Simon's not stupid. It seems very logical that the one that was in debt for the large amount would be the one that would be most thankful, most grateful. So he gives his answer. Yes, Simon, that is correct. Then comes the statement that I'd missed all along. Not only a story, not only in this passage of Scripture, but I've missed this in my faith all along. I think it's mind, for me, it's just absolutely mind-blowing. After answering his question, and Jesus tells him, that's right. And then he says these words, Scripture says, then turning to the woman, but speaking to Simon, he said, do you see this woman? There it is. That's it. That's it. I had missed it all along. I could come in today and tell you about the ravaging destruction that's taking place to this generation and generations that have come before us that we have turned a blind eye to with, in regards to human trafficking. Right now in the United States alone, we are looking at about 3.5 million individuals who are being bought and sold as slaves. 50% of those are children, 80% of those are women. So we're looking at nearly one and a half million boys and girls who are being bought and sold, mostly to be sexually exploited here in the United States of America. I'm not talking about, I'm not talking about Cambodia and Thailand. We want to talk those world numbers. We're looking at about 35 million. Abraham Lincoln sat down and he put his pen to the Emancipation Proclamation that very, very clearly said that all men would be regarded as equal and no man could own another human being. And today there are more slaves on the face of the earth than ever before. 
This, has not, this is not a problem that is brand new. We have books that have been published even by our own Assemblies of God back in the 1800s, and the title of the book is How to Stop the Trafficking of Our Women. The buying and selling has, has taken place. But we have done just that. We have done that as a, as a, as a, as a church. We have gathered our meeting. We have very strategically planned our gatherings. We have sat people in the right places. We have orchestrated the, the program. We have even discussed religious content, but my friends, we have missed the woman. We've missed the person in all of it. The young lady that received one of our cards while she was working on the street. Very simply on the back of that card it says, are you being forced to do what you do not want to do? Are you looking for a way out? Here's a number that you can call. When you hand those cards out, you never know. You never know if they're going to call. You hope they do. You pray they do. You you know, we'll hand out thousands in a, in a specific project or a campaign that we might be on in a certain city, but you just never know how many will call or even ask for help. And all the calls come in different. All the calls come in in a, in a variety of ways. Some, some ladies call in and they just say, listen, I need a, an STD checkup. I need an STD test, something fierce. I'm, I'm afraid for my life. Well, and we look in our Bibles, where does that over STDs and testing, I don't see where that, how do we answer the vulnerable? So we use missions money and we take a young lady who's scared for her life and walk her into the clinic, pay for an STD test. Can't take you to the scripture and the verse, I can't take you to the place where Jesus commands me to do that, but I can tell you, but it, it's about this woman. And it's her desperate time that that's what she needs at that moment. I have sat in nail salons more than I care to sit in nail salons ever in my life. For one, I have three daughters and a wife, and they enjoy that themselves. That's one thing, but I have taken more women off of the streets and they will give me a half hour of their time to just speak life into them if I will take them to a nail salon and I'll pay for a pedicure and a manicure and I will sit there the entire time and just speak, speak life over them. It sounds weird. I can't find that in the scripture. I know that. I, I, I can't, you know, I can't, I can't go to AG US Missions and go, where's the, where's the budget line for, you know, pedicure? I don't know. I had one young lady, we went in there and she said, I'm not going to do this unless you do this too. And I'm like, that's creepy. <laughs> so there we sat. There we sat with our feet in these little tubs, you know, scraping. That lady scraped on the bottom of these feet for days. <laughs> and we just sat and I just continued to look at her and say, you're worth it. Your mom and dad, I don't know what they, what caused you to be in this place, but you know, you're beautiful, you're, you're a precious young lady. For God's sakes, you're only 16! Mister, don't take me home. 
you can't take me home where this all started. Can we take you somewhere? You're not going to take me to an institution. You're not taking me to a foster home. I've been in many foster homes, and I can tell you that I've been used in every one. Religiously, can't back it up. A true worship, according to what's accepted by God the Father, to take care of the widow and the orphan. This lady called, she received this card, and she called and she said, I want out. Our team went down and she put the plan together where she was going to take around this one corner and we were going to drive in and separate her from her, her pimp and we were going to get her out and we were going to get her to a safe place. We did. Got her to a safe place. She had just turned 18 years old. We got her to a safe place. A month later, we got a call. Same girl. I went out. She had run back. This took place six or seven times. Now, I'd like to stand up here and talk about how patient, how, but I'm not. I'm not any of those. It came to the fourth or fifth time, and I'm like, you know what? I'm kind of done with this young lady. (laughs) She knows where she are. She wants help. She knows where we're at. She'll call. My wife, on the other hand, is balancing. She's like, no. She calls again, we're going to go. We're going to get her out again, get her out again. And I'm like, I know. Sure enough, she called. We took her, I can't remember if it was a Denny's or Perkins, we're sitting and we're eating. Finally, Tammy, which was shocking to me, out of a little bit of her frustration, she finally leaned over the table. She said, why? Sam was her name. Why, Sam? Why? Why do you keep running back? Why do you keep running back when you know that, I mean, she, every time we'd get her, she would be beat up. She would be broken. Why do you go back? She looked at Tammy and she said, I know it doesn't make sense. You see, every night before we go out to work, Daddy, which is the pimp, he makes dinner for all of us. And we sit down together as a family, meaning pimp and all of the other, what they would label as wife-in-law, the other girls that are being forced to sell their, their, their body, soul. Daddy makes dinner for us, and we sit down and we eat dinner as a family. And then once we're all done, we, we all clean up and we clean off the table and we all come back around the table and we have devotions together. We read the Bible together. And she looked at Tammy, through her tears, she said, in all of my life, that's all I've ever wanted. A family. So for everything that we have to endure when we leave that house, it's worth it for dinner and our time reading. 
struck that chord again with me. She didn't need a religious program. All those things are important, that the rehab piece and the restoration piece and, and all of that, it's so important. But what was important to her was that somebody would recognize that she's a person and she just needed someone to recognize who she was. I think when that woman walked into that, that very planned out banquet that had been set and strategically put together, I think if anything, if she would have been brave enough, she would have just stopped everything and said, listen, I know who you think I am, but you don't really know me. For one, I have a name. For one, I have, secondly, I have feelings. And thirdly, just because this is what I do doesn't mean this was my dream. Circumstances of life have brought me to this place. Looking at this woman, but speaking to Simon, Jesus said, Do you see this woman? That's it. That is our faith. That is who Jesus is. In the midst of all of that, in the midst of that banquet, Jesus, it wasn't like Jesus was going to be caught off guard. It wasn't like Jesus was going to be somehow tricked, you know, and brought into this and, and he was going, you know, Jesus knew exactly what was going on. But that is not what concerned him. What concerned him was this woman and her place of desperation. We have a young lady that we're actually in the midst of helping right now. And I want to share her story with you because it's so forefront in my mind. This young lady, her name is Alyssa. I know the Brantners and the Mullins, you heard this. I believe Tammy shared this story when we were at District Council. Alyssa was taken from her home in Romania. She wasn't taken. She, her parents sold her at the age, she thinks, of 12 or 13. She was taken from Romania to Moldova where they broke her in a house and they trained her to live the life of prostitution. They then took her, they brought her over by boat. They literally put her on the auction block. She was sold to a pimp that then trafficked her all across the United States and abroad. She was pregnant. In her mind, she counted at least nine times. She has two of those children with her now. Three of the other children were birthed and were sold, and the others were aborted in a hotel room by a doctor that was being paid for by the pimp. Somehow she came to the place in her life where she said enough is enough. She asked her pimp he would give her a little extra money so she could go and get her nails done. 
He gave her that. She went and got her nails done. And she didn't get the plain nails. She got the ones that are finished to the point, whatever those are called. And one night when she was with her pimp, her plan came together and she took those nails that he had paid for and she used them to scratch him in the eye and hurt him quite badly, actually. And she was able to run with her two children. She got away. I was speaking at a high school in Fargo, North Dakota. Christian high school. It was spiritual emphasis days, and next door, the elementary students had another speaker. They had puppets and all those things, which I'm always like, I kind of like to be over there and watch that in a way, but I was doing my adult thing, you know. And one afternoon after we were done with our spiritual emphasis meetings, they said, we should all go to lunch together. So we go and eat lunch, and we're sitting at this restaurant in Fargo, not that restaurant. It was actually a pretty nice one. And we were sitting at a restaurant in Fargo, and this lady that was part of this children's team, she looked at me and she goes, what is it you do for a living? And I said, well, and I don't ever want to tell people. To be honest, I'm like, because then it just, that's all we ever talk about. And to be honest with you, there are times where I don't want to talk about people being trafficked. I just, in fact, every day, I can be honest with you, and I ask God, is this the day that you will release me from this ministry? Because I don't like it. I want to do something happy. I want to do something fun. We're not there yet. God, God and I are kind of back, you know, we're on this bartering. But I begin to explain what it is that we do. She goes, no way. She goes, I live in Oshkosh, Wisconsin. And we just had this woman show up at our church. Just showed up. Told us this story about She's being trafficked, and she just escapes. And we don't know what to do. Can you help us? I said, well, I, I don't know if I can. I don't know if I can help you. Well, this is what we need. This is what. So out of this random meeting, we build this relationship, and we reach out to Alyssa. Alyssa, we don't know if that's her name. She doesn't know if that's her name. It's the name she chose. She has several names. She sent us an envelope full of fake IDs. I mean, we've, it's a stack. And several names. We begin to contact with a list. We have had the charter plane on the runway three times to go and get her. Literally on the runway. And she'll call and say, forget it, never mind. We just got her into an apartment. We just had all the furniture bought. And three months ago, she called us and she said, I had a tough time paying my rent, so my landlord came in and he raped me for my rent. And this was her words. I guess this is just who I am. Tammy speaks every night to Alyssa. Alyssa somehow has figured out, she thinks she has figured her age correctly if the timeline works out. She thinks she's either 19 or 20. 
And Alyssa drives me crazy. Every night at about 10.30, the phone rings. My wife is on the phone for at least an hour. And I'll hear things, because Tammy will sometimes put her on the speaker, and I'll hear things like, I've never laughed like this before. And I'll hear her say, you're my best friend. I love you. Nobody cares for you. But can I tell you, Tammy has never met this woman face to face. This woman is so fearful. Somebody will take her and abuse her again. We can't even help her the way that we feel like we need to help her. As people of faith, it's time for us to refocus. It's even time for us to stop and stop saying things like, what's the mission? What's, what's our, even our purpose? And I get those things are important, but sometimes we get so caught up in the purpose, we forget the people. We get so caught up in the mission that we forget that there are people. That's my challenge to you today. In the midst of all of it, no matter where you place yourself in this story, we have to ask the question, do you see this woman? Alyssa called two weeks ago. She told Tammy, she said, I want to bless you. I want to bless you and your husband. Tammy said, oh, you don't have to do anything. No, I want to bless you. I just want to be a blessing to you. Liz is now plugged into a church. She's accepted the Lord. She, she goes every week. She wants to bless us. Tammy says, well, what is it? She said, well, I found out that I'm pregnant. Again. Maybe you know where this is. She says, I, I can't take care of another baby. She says, I want you and Lowell to have this baby. My friends, I am a 50-year-old man. I always say I'm 50 years old, but I feel 30. Until I get around 30-year-olds, and I'm like, nope, I'm 50. I'm 50. Well, here we are. I'm asking God, God, what do we do? This, me finding Moses floating in the thicket? Because I can't, I can't find this, Lord. I can't find my answer here. Ministry is, is worship, worship, true worship that is accepted by God the Father. That we care for the widow and the orphan. And each one of us find ourselves in a story similar to this. We find ourselves in that restaurant being the uncomfortable one. We find ourselves being the righteous religious ones at times. And I think if we were honest with ourselves, we would find ourselves in the place of Simon being very overly righteous who we
we think we are in our own. But today, in all of those places, I would ask you to look at woman. Look at them. our Heavenly Father, I thank you for who you are. I thank you that you accept me in the midst of everything I've done in my life. Lord, you know that this mission of the church has somehow been derailed from what you've left us to do instructionally. Lord, we just want to be faithful to what you've, you need us to do. To set people free, to give people food, to give people water, to give people a shelter, whatever it is, God, that you have for us to do. We just want to do that to the very best of our ability. But God, I pray even for Huron First right now, that they would not be so caught up with the mission or the purpose or the plan, that they would somehow miss the person. Miss the woman. thank you for this place. I thank you for their heart. I thank you for the, the leadership you have given here. And I pray, God, that you would bless them with a spirit, a spirit of compassion that moves us and moves them to be deeply involved with people, even in their messiness and their dirtiness, in their anger, their resentment. Pray these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. You know, there are some days <clears throat> when we gather together to worship and as we leave, um, you know, we sat, we sit at lunch and we start talking about the service and what did the Lord say or, and I remember one time we were sitting at lunch and a gentleman came up to the table that we knew from in town and said, what did the pastor preach on today? And there was a pause and there was just silence for a minute. And I'll be honest with you, I couldn't remember even, I couldn't even say it. And uh, someone finally spoke up and said what we shared. And, uh, and then there are days like today where when we leave this place today, it's as if God came in the midst of today and just kind of hit the pause button for a second and reminded us that every human being that we encounter has such value. Through our Sunday school time and our worship time and through the message that Lowell just shared with us, the reminder that each human being has value and that should change everything. And I hope that we've heard that. And I hope that we never stop hearing that. We want to give you a chance to partner in an offering today. And so I'm going to ask those gentlemen to come. And uh, I'm going to conclude with a prayer. And uh, feel free to be dismissed after that. There is a table in the back I want to draw your attention to. There's some resources out there. And uh, we encourage you to stop by there and pick those up. If you've got questions or you want to share some things with Lowell, he'll be around and we want to make that available to you. If you need prayer, uh, we're going to be here and we'd love, if you didn't have an opportunity to be prayed for for anything, uh, we'd love the opportunity to do that as well. And so uh, after we dismiss, uh, feel free to do any of those things. And fo so Father, 
I thank you today uh, that you loved us enough to come and to just to share uh, your heart with us. Thank you for the reminder that you sent your son to seek and to save that which was lost. Thank you for the reminder that as you sent him, you send us. Thank you for peeling back the curtain today to remind us that in all of our busyness and all of our schedules and all of our religious programming, that you never want us to lose sight of the value of the one. You said that there's more rejoicing in heaven over the one lost that is found than over 99 righteous that have no need to repent. And I pray that those things that you have put in our hearts today, those things, those words that you've spoken, those uh, impressions that you've given to us, Holy Spirit, that you wouldn't allow those things to just throughout this week be stolen away from the enemy, that they would not be choked out by the cares and anxieties of life, that those things would begin to take a deep root in our hearts. And so I just ask you now that you would water them in such a way in our hearts that uh, these are thoughts that continue to come to our mind as we go about our day, every day this week, the value of the one that's right in front of us. Help us to see each woman, each man, each child that you bring across our path. And Father, just help us to be willing to do what it takes to offer them life. So we pray for the, the offering that we're gonna take today. God, thank you for the ability to partner together with Lowell and Tammy and with this ministry. God, to continue to, to build your kingdom in this way. And we just ask your blessing on that as well today. Father, thank you for rescuing us from darkness and bringing us into the kingdom of your son. Help us to do the same for those that we meet. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. As, you, um, as the, they take up the offering, feel free to be dismissed. Again, uh, the resources in the back. And uh, thank you for being here this morning. God bless you as you go.